0: a word for you tonight from the lord and uh it's on one of my favorite all-time bible men of god i love joseph how many in here have never heard the story of joseph raise your hands is there anybody who's never heard the story of joseph okay so we all at least are familiar with joseph he is my favorite i have been studying him now for 20 years so I could talk for hours on Joseph, and I promise I, I won't tonight. <laughs> but I could. So the, the, the phrase that kept coming back to me as I was studying and I was, I was meditating and getting ready for tonight is, well, this doesn't look like what I thought it would. And I thought, well, that, that phrase isn't in the Bible. <laughs> All right, Lord, where are you going with this? And, um, you know, I I like to bake, not cook so much. I cook because I have to. I bake because it's therapy. So I love to bake, and I I love to try new recipes, and I have tried different cakes and different things before, and I've, you know, started all gung-ho and pulled it out in the oven and thought, well, that doesn't look like what I thought it would. (laughs) That looks nothing like the picture. Or, you know, wow, that sounded a lot better in my head. Or um, that picture just didn't... You know, it just didn't turn out the way I thought it would. That doesn't look like what I thought it would. So we're going to kind of hop, skip, and jump through the story of Joseph maybe a little faster than I had anticipated. So if you would uh, go in your Bibles to Genesis 37, we're going to start there. And I love the story of Joseph. I can relate to the story of Joseph, and we're going to get into this tonight And um, in verses 3 and 4, I might not read the verses so much as I'm going to talk about them tonight because just for time's sake, I'll read a few of them. But um, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, none of that was Joseph's fault, right? Joseph couldn't help that his father loved him more. He didn't do anything to make him love him more. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his purpose. It was just because he was born to the wife that first that, that Jacob loved the most. Not Joseph's fault. It's not Joseph's fault that his brothers hated him. None of this was his fault. I just want you to hold those things in mind. It just is what it is. And there are sometimes things that happen in life that are not our fault people think stuff about us or say stuff about us or do stuff to us or, or around us or whatever and it's not our fault but it does impact us right so we're going to hold on to these thoughts as we move on and just a couple couple notes on on Joseph's robe is that all of the men in the old testament they had a they had a coat it was usually sleeveless. It was usually just a, a piece of cloth that had a hole for the head, and they would belt it around. It was something to keep them warm, something to wrap up in, like a blanket. They all had a, had some sort of coat, but Joseph's was an ornate coat, and it, it it had sleeves. It was it was put together. It was ornate. It was the kind of robe or coat that he would wear and so Jacob was setting Joseph apart not only as his favorite but this also uh, potentially signified that he would one day lead the family and Joseph had gifts on the inside of him the dreams that he had signified that the place that Jacob put him in the family signified that and that always shocked me that that he played favorites with his kids because you would think he would have learned from his parents mistakes the father loved Esau, the mother loved Jacob, and it was always this battle of favoritism. So you would think, but hello, I guess, from the fathers to the sons, and you pass it on. So he played favorites. But um, the bottom line was that Joseph had a gift, and Joseph had a call on his life. And we're going to see that as we read about these dreams that God gave him. But gifts and callings need cultivated, Right? We have gifts, and we have callings, and those things need cultivated. We're going to go through uh, verses 3 through 7. And it said, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it na 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 -na I'm better than you. Can you hear the tone? (laughs) One of the younger brothers coming to the older brothers that hate him anyway, and so this brother rivalry thing. Uh, And then in verses 9 through 11, it says, Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this matter in mind. So the brothers are jealous. Joseph is a 17 year old kid. How many 17 year old kids who know how to handle responsibility? Not a whole lot of them, right? <laughs> So in Joseph's dreams, what happens is he sees himself as leading his brothers. It's kind of confirming that leadership call on the inside of Joseph. God gave him these dreams. And we know from reading to the end of the story that, you know, this actually happens. He does end up leading his brothers. But a lot of things happen between 17 and the brothers bowing down to him. We're talking about 23 years' worth of stuff. And that's what we want to look, look at tonight because this is not what I thought it would look like. So sometimes we bump into things in our lives, and we get discouraged, and we get depressed, and we get down, because we think this is not what I thought it would look like. And I just want you to grab some hope tonight, because if we can just hang on and trust God, there's a reason for every season, and if we can hold on to Him through it, then the end is going to be a beautiful work of art. So in Genesis 37, verse 19, what happens is uh, the brothers are out tending the sheep, and Joseph is back with the father. And he says, here, go take these provisions to your brother, and then bring me back a report. Tell me what's going on out there. And so Joseph's on his way to go get him. and, And the brothers see him afar off, and they said, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Now I am sure the first thing that popped into Joseph's mind was, Hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to look like. <laughs> they are supposed to be bowing down to me. And here I am in this well. Actually, if you read later when the brothers are talking in front of Joseph, when they don't know it's Joseph, they said, you know, we're being called to account today because we heard his anguish and his distress in that well. So Joseph is in a well, and he is anguished, and he is in great distress for his life. He's got a dream, he's got a gift, he's got a call, he's got a well. Anybody ever felt like you were in the bottom of the well? Amen. We're going to take heart tonight. So then what happens is the the Midianites come and the brothers go, hey, let's get some money for him. Thank God they were greedy, right? Let's get some money for him. Let's dig him out of this well and sell him as, as a slave. So they dig Joseph out of the well, and I'm wondering, gosh, was he relieved? Finally, it was a joke. Was this a practical joke? He's coming up out of the well, and then they sell him to these Midianites, take him off to Egypt, and he gets sold. And um, I don't have this one in my notes, but it says that they sold him to Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's officials. He was the keeper of the guard. So he is sold to not just any old Joe in Egypt, he's sold to one of the who's who in Egypt. This guy's like in with Potiphar. He is in with the the, the leader. He's one of his right-hand men. And it says of him in Genesis 39, 39, 4 through 6, that Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, I'm sure that Joseph is sitting here as a slave saying, This is not what I thought it was going to look like. But Joseph had a gift, Joseph had a calling. And that gift and that calling was being cultivated because we see him rising up to a level of leadership, right? Very rarely are you going to start out where you finish. In fact, I'm not going to even say very rarely. I'm going to say never do you start out where you finish because you just don't have the wisdom. You just don't have the know-how. There are steps that you need to take to get from here to there. And guess what? It's not always what we thought it was going to look like but that doesn't mean it's not good. And so we see Joseph in Potiphar's house using his leadership skills. He's he's honing his leadership skills. He's getting to know his gift and his call as the head in charge of, of, of Potiphar's house. So I guess if he had to be a slave, it's good to be the highest slave, right? So he's in a good place as a slave. Can we all agree that Even though he's a slave, he's in a good place as a slave. I'm sure he had a little bit nicer room. I'm sure he had a little bit more of the the privileges, maybe a little bit better food, because he was in charge of everything. And if we go on down to 39, verse 9, we're going to get to Potiphar's wife. And it says... um, You know what, leading up to that, Potiphar's wife really thought Joseph was a good-looking guy. She had her eye on him from the beginning. And day in and day out, she was tempting him, saying, hey, come over here. I want you to be with me. Hey, come over here. I want you to be with me. Hey, come over here. I want you to be with me. But listen to Joseph's response, because we see a little bit of his heart here. Joseph says to her, no one is greater in this house than I am, and my master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against Potiphar? Is that what it says? How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against myself? How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And so we see a little bit of his heart here in that he is still holding on to what he knows of his God, the God of his fathers. And we know that in, in their tradition, they brought their sons up in, the, in the, the history. He, I'm sure, had heard the stories of Adam. He had heard the stories of Enoch and how he walked with God. And he had heard the stories of Abraham and Isaac. These were his relatives. This was his family. This is what was ingrained in him from the time he was a child. And so we see a bit of his heart here in that even though he's a slave, even though it doesn't look exactly like what he thought it would, he was still holding on to God. We're going to hold on to that thought. Well, it doesn't turn out so pretty for Joseph here. In verse 19 and 20 of chapter 39, what happens is the, the wife sends all the, the servants out, everyone out of the house. She's the only one there, and she traps Joseph and says, This is the day you are going to be with me. You don't have a say in it. And he so desperately wanted to get away from her that he ran out of the room. His She had his coat in her hand, and he ran out of his coat, he ran out of the room, he ran as far away from her as he could get, maintaining his integrity, maintaining his walk with God, because he was not going to sin against his God. But he left his coat there. This guy gets into trouble with coats. I'm telling you, if I was him, I'd have stopped wearing them a long time ago. But in verse um, 19, it says, when So the wife, the husband comes home and she goes, look what this slave that you brought here did to me. He tried to rape me. How could you have brought him into this house? And she lied about Joseph. Anybody ever been lied about? Can I get a witness? When When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So he goes from being in a well, well, from having dreams to being in a well, to getting out of the well, being sold into slavery, to kind of rising up to the top as a slave to now be thrown into prison. Not a Martha Stewart kind of prison. This is a dank, dungeon, nasty, moldy, mildewy, rat-infested, nasty prison. Everyone say prison. Prison. Joseph is in prison. Um, but this isn't what I thought it would look like, right? He had dreams. He had big dreams of his brothers bowing down to him and every, you know, everybody just bowing down to him and of him being the leader. This is not what he thought it would look like. But in verse 22 it says, The warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison because God gave him favor. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So what do we see here? Joseph has a gift. Joseph has a calling of leadership on his life. And he is thrown into a dank prison. But while he's in prison, that gift and that calling rises up on the inside of him He gets to exercise it a little bit more. He gets to learn about it a little bit more. He gets to use it a little bit more, and he's put in charge of prison. Again, I'm sure he's given a little bit nicer cell. I'm sure he might have had a little bit more favor, a little bit nicer food. But the gifts and the callings all this time, the backstory, the gifts and the callings are getting cultivated, right? And then in chapter 40, uh, verse 1 it says sometime later the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offered offended their master the king of Egypt and Pharaoh was angry with his two officials the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard who's the captain of the guard Potiphar was right In the same prison where Joseph was confined and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them after they had been in custody for some time each of the two men had a dream. The same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? Well, I think I would look sad just because I was in prison, don't you? Well, we both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Again, we get a little picture of Joseph's heart here, because if he had been bitter, if he had held on to offense, if he had not kept his heart right before God, he would have said, run away from dreams. (laughs) Let me tell you what dreams will get you. Dreams will get you slavery. Dreams will get you prison. It's not a pretty picture. You don't want anything to do with a dream. But he didn't do that. He said, no, interpretations belong to God. Go ahead and tell me your dream, and God will interpret that for you. And so he did. They, did. He, they tell him, and the butler get, gets uh, a, good, a good interpretation, and the baker gets the, you know, he doesn't have a pretty picture ahead of him. But the butler, uh, after he interpreted the butler's dream, he looked at him because he had great faith in the fact that God had interpreted this dream and that this man in three days was going to get set free. That was the interpretation of his dream. In three days, you're going to be restored. And the baker was, in three days, you're going to be asked. But um, in in 41 verse 1, and I know I'm I'm trying to get through this real quick. It says, the chief cupbearer, oh wait, no, we want to go back to 40. In chapter 40, verse 14 and 15, what Joseph says to him after he interprets the dream is, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. In other words, get me out of here. He was desperate to get out of there. He didn't want to be there. This isn't what I thought it would look like. He was desperate. He did not want to be there anymore. But the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then chapter 41, verse 1, it says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. So the butler and the baker in prison, the, the butler gets restored, and he says, remember me, and the, baker, or the, the butler does not, and two years go by. Two years seemed like a long time, right? This isn't what I thought it would look like. I thought that was my escape. I thought that was my way out. I thought that things were going to change. Two full years had passed, and then Pharaoh had a dream. And in 41 verse 9, it says, the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, oh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. And he tells him about Joseph. So what does does Pharaoh do? Because he knows right where Joseph is, he sends for him. Now let me tell you this. If Joseph would have been released from prison, if the butler would have kept his word, would have gone to Pharaoh, and he'd have been released from prison two years earlier, he would have missed the whole plan of God. He'd have missed the whole thing. He'd have hightailed it out of Egypt back to his brothers to get revenge. Or No, probably not. His heart was right. But he would have hightailed it right out of Egypt. God had to keep him in that prison so that he would be there when Pharaoh had his dreams. We pray, Lord, we want to be in the right place at the right time, right? But to us, that's a happy place and a fun time. <laughs> but to Joseph, it was, it was a well and it was slavery and it was prison. Go to, wait. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Can I have a few more minutes? I know it's 830 already. Do you mind if I just have a few more? Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and he said, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph said, I can't do it, but God can. Same words. Same words that he spoke to the butler. Same words that he, he had rehearsed before. His heart's right before God. Same words. When it counts. God lets us practice some things, you know. God lets us face some things when, when, when there's no pressure. When there's nothing in it for us. When there's nothing going on around us. He lets us face some things so that when the pressure comes, we've already practiced it, right? Okay, go to Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. But this isn't what I thought it would look like. Have you faced anything in your life, or are you facing anything in your life right now that this is not what I thought it would look like? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. God allows the wilderness. He'll even lead into the wilderness. He allows the prisons. He allows the slavery. He allows these things to happen. Listen. When Jesus was in the wilderness and it was just him and the devil and there was no pressure, there were no outside forces, there was no, um, nothing coming against his flesh, do you know what the devil said? He said, if you are the Son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God, do that. If you are the Son of God, command this, these rocks to be made into bread. Cast yourself down. If you are the Son of God. And every time, with no external pressures, Jesus said, No, it is written. No, it is written. No, it is written. He faced those temptations and he overcame them by the strength and the help of God in the wilderness when it was just him. Now, go to Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. This is when he's facing the cross, okay? It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching that place, he said to them, pray that you not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And it says, and being in anguish, He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, the Amplified Bible says, And being in agony of mind, he prayed all the more earnestly and intently. His sweat became like great clots of blood dropping down upon the ground. Why? Because he was face to face now with what was going to come against his flesh. He could see it. He could feel it. He could taste it. He was so close to paying that price for us. And he was saying, Father, if there's any other way, let this pass from me. But now my will, yours be done. And the angels came and strengthened them. And then in, in Matthew 27, verse 40, I just want you to listen to this. It was while he was going to the cross, he heard these words. They were tempting him. The people were taunting him. And they said, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. And they said it again. You said this was going to happen, so do it if you are the son of God. There are times in our lives where he leads us into those wilderness times, where he leads us into those times where we're like, Lord, this is not what I had in mind. But it's just you, And it's just him and he's strengthening you and he's building things into you so that when you come out of there and you're smack in the middle of his will, this was the whole reason Jesus came. And he was smack in the middle of that will hearing those same words that the devil had said when nothing was coming against him and God let him practice that. And practices, it might seem a little sacrilegious almost, but he let him walk through that and gain confidence in that and have the experience of that so that when he was facing it with his nails in his hands and in his feet and his flesh crying out, at that point he still could have called for legions of angels to deliver him and God would have had to answer him. But he overcame that temptation, and he told us how to overcome temptation. He said, we read it when he was in the garden, pray, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. He was not telling them, repeat after me, I pray that I will not fall into temptation. No, he's saying prayer is the key. And it's not just prayer to have prayer. It's that intimate, abiding fellowship with the Father that we talked about in January that intimate, abiding relationship with God that makes all the difference. And Joseph had that. He had that. We're going to get back to Joseph and finish this up. God allows those testing times in our lives so that we can face that without the externals going on so that when you're in the pressure of his will, because I'm telling you, even when you're walking right smack in the middle of his will, there's times when there's pressure coming against you every which way. And you have to have practiced it. It's at to, to where it becomes a habit in you. We're not going to despise those wilderness times, those quiet times, those slavery times, those prison times, because there is a reason for every season. And God was positioning Joseph... Let's, let's finish up Joseph. In 41, verse 39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, "Since Joseph gave them a plan, hey, I think you should do this. This might, might help you. And Pharaoh said, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And instead of him saying, well, now that's not what I thought it would look like, I pictured him saying, well, now that's more like it. That's what I had in mind all along. But 23 years of preparation time. And that, although there's times in my life I would not want to repeat, I wouldn't trade him either because it built into me the things that I needed to be doing right now. Don't despise those seasons. There are purposes and a reason for every season. And in Genesis 41, we see another picture of his heart being right before God. In uh, verses 50 and 52, he named his kids. One of them he named Manasseh, and he said, Because God has made me forget all my trouble. And he named the other one, Ephraim, because God has made me fruitful. Still, God was always the foremost and forethought of his mind. And then his dream is fulfilled. If you read on down, I, I encourage you to read the story again because I am not doing it justice. But if you read down into to chapter 42, when the brothers come, it says they did not recognize him, but Joseph recognized them. And they came up and they bowed down to him. And then they got up and started talking to him. And the Bible says, then he remembered his dreams. He didn't remember the dreams when they were bowing. It wasn't until after all that had come to pass that God brought all that back to his mind. Can you imagine? Like, I would think that would have been in the forefront of his mind the whole time. But he was able to let it go and let God have his way. And there's so many times that we hold on to our dreams and our plans because... I want this to happen, and I, 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 me, me, me. And in the beginning, like if you read down to the end of the story, when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, he's sobbing so loud that they hear it all through Potiphar's house. And I think in the beginning when he had dreams, I don't think he ever pictured that he would have that kind of a feeling for his brothers or a kind of relationship for his brothers, but he wanted that. Why? Because he was holding on to his God, and his heart was right. And sometimes... In the beginning, it was all about him, and you're going to bow down to me. And if your dream is still all about you, and what you get to do, and you, 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 me, 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 I I, I want, I want, I want. Well, maybe your dream needs to cook just a little bit longer. Not done yet. Father, burn out the eye. Because then when you get down to when he's talking to his brothers, he says one, two, three times, Please don't be afraid. It was God that sent me here. Don't be discouraged at yourselves. God sent me here for a reason. It was God that orchestrated all this. There was a purpose. In the beginning, it was all about Joseph and what he was going to get to do. But the end, God had revealed to him that he was going to rescue God's covenant people. God used Joseph to, to fulfill his covenant. If the covenant people would have died off from famine, there would have been no covenant. There would have been no Jesus. He had to preserve that line. And if, oh, one day we're going to teach on covenant because it is amazing. But God is a covenant keeping God. And and in the beginning, Joseph's dream, in his mind, it was all about him. But at the end, it was all about God. And God had his accomplished, and God had his purpose accomplished through him. God sent me here. God sent me here. So what I want you to take away from tonight is there's every season of life here. Some of you are in the beginning, and you have those dreams that you just can't wait to get out there and start fulfilling. Some of you are in prison, <laughs> saying, get me out of here, please. But some of you are at the end, and you can look back and say, Yep. Uh, If you let God do it, it's going to become a beautiful, beautiful picture. But the key to all of it is that we have to trust him. And I'm going to close with this visual picture of trusting him with your life like this. I don't play golf. I've watched Michael play golf. I've watched it on TV. But I've always been fascinated when they go to putt the ball, right? Because the hole's over here and the ball's way back here. And you're thinking, Straightest point, right, between two lines is a straight line. Quickest way to get there, straight line. But how many golfers know that's not the best way to go? So they get down, and they're checking it all. I'm like, what What are they doing? They're like face on the ground. And then they go to pat the ball to the hole, and they shoot it this way. (laughs) And I'm like, what are they doing? (laughs) The hole's over there. But it rounds itself out, kind of drops right back in the hole. So here we are, and there's our dream, and God's going to put us, right? But we have to let Him put us this way. It's got to be okay for it to not look like what you thought it was going to look like, right? It's so when you let go of that, and you say, All right, God, I, it doesn't look like what I thought it would, but I trust you. All right, I lost my job. The job I was going to retire from now. What do I? It didn't look like what I thought it was going to look like, but I trust you. You know? I graduated from Bible school 20 years ago last month, and I, I've known Jack here since before then. We, he was a Bible school buddy. <laughs> he worked security down there when I was going to school. And, um, you know, I was thinking last month, Gosh, it sure doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. I had a lot of different pictures in my mind, and this wasn't one of them. But you know what? It's good. It's good. It's going to be good, I promise. So we're going to go ahead and close. I'm sorry I went late tonight. But if if you're in, in prison, I just wanted to make this offer. Would you play something or have them play something? If you're in prison... And you want someone to just pray with you (laughs) and encourage you or agree with you about anything. We're going to open the altars and you can come down and pray. Otherwise, you'll um, be dismissed and you can love on one another. But let's just pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for your presence that came in like such a flood. And brought comfort and peace and healing and grace and joy and all that you are. And I thank you, Father, for the words that I spoke my imperfect way of getting it out. But Father, I thank you that Holy Spirit will go home with everyone that heard this and break it apart to them exactly the way that they need to hear it. Father God, I thank you that you go with us. Father, let your presence rest upon us. Come up out of us, Father. Let us be vessels who carry your power and your presence everywhere we go. Help us to be more aware of you. Help us to find comfort in your plan. Help us to trust you if it doesn't look like what we thought it would. Father, we promise to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.